This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there, and thanks again for joining me once again. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you are listening to The Faith Experiment, and this is episode number 15. And I'm calling this episode A New Birth. If you are joining me for the first time, The Faith Experiment is about putting faith into practice. And so far on the show, I've been sharing with you my own personal journey of how I went from a non-believer to a faith experimenter. Now, if you've missed any of the previous episodes and you want to catch up on some of the details, you can get the Faith FM app from the App Store or go to faithfm.com.au and look under the podcast section for The Faith Experiment. You can also find The Faith Experiment on all good podcasting platforms, making it easy for you to keep up to date with The Faith Experiment. Well, once again, I'd love to hear from you where you're listening to the show from today. You can text me on 0488-45311 or email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au. I would love to know where you're listening to from today. Now, on this episode, I've got a neat little e-guide which will help you explore today's topic just a little bit deeper. So stick around to get today's code word during the show, and you'll need to text that code word to 0488845311. So save that number into your phone, 0488845311, and wait for today's code word. Now, I need to make a bit of a correction. On episode 13 of The Faith Experiment, Finding a Church, I shared how I went through the Ten Commandments in the Bible and compared them to the Ten Commandments in the Roman Catholic Catechism. Now, I said on the show that the Third Commandment was removed. That was incorrect. What I should have said was the Second Commandment was removed. Had a bit of a slip of the tongue there, so I just wanted to clarify that. Now, just so nobody's confused, I prepared a graphic of what I was talking about. If you'd like to see that graphic and to see what I was talking about, you can text the code word HASH10. That's the hash symbol and the number 1 and number 0, hash 10. Text hash 10 to 0488845311 and you'll get a link to a graphic showing clearly how the commandments were changed. So text hash 10 to 0488845311. Now on the last episode, Finding a Church, I took you through the journey of comparing the various Christian denominations with the Bible. And I found that all of them had many very biblical teachings. But I also discovered that just about all of them also held to teachings that were not just not in the Bible, but were actually, in many cases, directly contradicting the Bible. Things like, we must add our good works to the gift of salvation, or we must worship on Sunday, a day that Rome claims to have changed by our own authority. We don't need to be believers who are baptized by immersion as Jesus was, but rather sprinkling as a newborn baby is sufficient. Or teachings like, for those who don't worship God, they'll be held in some kind of hellish torment throughout the ceaseless ages. Or some who say that God is going to secretly snatch all the believers away in a nanosecond and then give the rest of mankind some kind of second chance to worship him during a seven-year tribulation, something the Bible never speaks about. And so, after carefully examining each and every theological family, I found that the Seventh-day Adventist Church was the closest aligned to the Bible of all the denominations I had studied. Now, let me pause here for a moment. I want to thank everyone who has taken the time to write me about that last episode. Thank you for asking questions and for giving me your feedback. 
Some of you wrote in asking, why didn't I spend more time talking about the differences I found in every denomination? And why did I seem to spend so much time on the Roman Catholic Church? Well, let me just say this. As I said on that episode, I started with the Roman Catholic Church because it claims to be the oldest church and the biggest of all the Christian denominations. And every other Christian theological family can somehow trace their root back not just to the Roman Church, but back to Jewish roots. And so, it made sense to me to start with Rome. Now, as you can appreciate, I've been sharing a condensed version of my faith experiment and how it all began. I mean, it literally took me weeks and months to pour through the information on each of those theological families. And what I shared in about 40 minutes or so was really just the highlights of the process. And if there's an interest, maybe I could spend more time comparing various denominations with the plain teachings of the Bible in the future. If that's something you think I should do, then by all means, send me an email on robbie at faithfm.com.au and let me know, and I'll consider that for upcoming episodes. Now, some of you have contacted me asking, why was the Sabbath such a big deal to me during this process? Well, to be honest, the Sabbath was not even on my radar. It really just became a big deal when I started to explore the Bible and I discovered the Ten Commandments. And when I noticed that it was the only commandment that began with the word remember, and it's also the only commandment that states that it is the Sabbath or the rest of the Lord your God. It seemed to me that the Sabbath was a big deal to God. And over and over again in both the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament, the Sabbath is brought to the forefront as kind of a sign between God and his people. You see, whether you like it or not, worship is a part of this great cosmic conflict. And who, how, and when you worship is all very important. Did you know that worship is the central issue in the last book of the Bible? In Revelation, just about every chapter deals with the issue of worship. So, this Sabbath, this day of worship, which was first enshrined in creation, is only a big deal to me because it seems to be a big deal to God. Now, just on that, some of you have asked me if I believe that keeping the Sabbath saves you. Now, since so many of you have asked me, let me just say this. Nowhere do I find in the Bible that salvation is assured because of keeping the Sabbath. Jesus is very clear, along with all the other prophets of Scripture. We are saved by accepting, by faith, the gift of salvation provided freely to anybody who would accept it. You cannot add anything to that gift. If you do add then it's not a gift. You've purchased it. So, what is the relationship then between the Sabbath and salvation? Well, for me, it seems to be quite simple. Those who have accepted the gift, the gift of salvation, who have received salvation, they acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of all, and they acknowledge that God is the Creator. And God says those who acknowledge Him will keep His rest, will keep His Sabbath. For example, in the Hebrew Old Testament book of Ezekiel, God says this. He says, Hallow, or keep, my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. You see, God says the Sabbath is a sign that we may know He is our Lord and God. And He also says in verse 12 of the same chapter, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, and that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. You see, again, God is telling us that the Sabbath is the sign between us and Him. 
And then in the last book of the Bible, the message is exactly the same. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 through 7, it says this, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. You see, this is the last message to the world before the return of Jesus Christ. And this message is called the everlasting gospel. And the last part of this message specifically mentions worship the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. And this is taken directly out of the fourth commandment. For anybody reading the book of Revelation in the first century, they would have known exactly what this was talking about. It was talking about the fourth commandment, which is referring to the seventh day Sabbath. So, the Sabbath follows those who have received the free gift of salvation. It is the sign or the seal that they know who the Lord is and the Lord knows who they are. And not the other way around. We're not saved because we keep the Sabbath. We keep the Sabbath because we are saved. Well, back to my faith experiment. After I had gone through all those various denominations and I concluded that I held in common just about everything that the Seventh-day Adventist Church teaches and I could prove their position from the Bible by myself, I thought the time had come to meet one. And so I looked up in the yellow pages for a Seventh-day Adventist church. And on the following Saturday, I attended my first church service. Man, it was pretty interesting, to say the least. I got there at 9 a.m., and when I walked up to the front door, I was met by a lady who said to me, Good morning and happy Sabbath. I thought, whoa, happy Sabbath? So, not wanting to be rude, I responded, Good morning Um, happy Sabbath to you too. She asked me if I wanted a bulletin. I said, sure. Now, I had no idea what a bulletin was or what it was for, but sure, I I took one. Then she pointed me towards another set of internal doors, which led into what looked like the main room in the building. There were rows and rows of seats. And so I found a seat and sat down. After a few minutes of soft piano music, someone made their way to the lectern and greeted us with... Good morning and happy Sabbath. To which everyone replied, Happy Sabbath. I recognized the pattern here. We were all given a few announcements, followed by some songs, and then we were informed that it was time for Sabbath school. Sabbath school? What's that, I thought. Well, it didn't take long. Someone came up to me, who obviously recognized me as a visitor, and said, Would you like to join our Sabbath school class? I said, Sure, okay. I was ushered to a circle of chairs at the back of the church where a number of people, about 12 or so, sat down as one person sort of let out. And for the next about 40 minutes or so, we studied the Bible as a group. And to be honest, it was quite amazing. There was a theme for the class and the leader would guide us from a passage of Scripture to another passage of Scripture and then we'd all discuss what it means and how it all fits together and probably most importantly, what these verses mean to us in our lives today. And I thought to myself, man, these guys really seem to know their Bibles. This is awesome. Well, after Sabbath school finished, I was told we'd have a 10-minute break. 
and meet back in the main church for what they called the church service. And so, sure enough, about two minutes later, some people got up to lead the church in some singing. None of these songs I had any idea of, obviously, but it sounded nice. It actually sounded kind of like what I picture heavenly music to sound like, I guess. Then there were some more announcements, and then someone got up to let us know that there was an offering being collected this week that was going to support some sort of mission project in the South Pacific, if I remember correctly. And the young girl at the front, she assured us visitors that there was no pressure for us to give, only if we wanted to. Next, a preacher was introduced as the one who would now share God's word with us. And before I knew it, they were closing the service with a song and a prayer, and and that was it. As I walked out of the church, I was informed that a church camp was coming up and that I was more than welcome to attend. It was going to be a special weekend of meetings centered around the book of Revelation. And that was all I really needed to hear. I wanted to hear what others thought about this book of Revelation. So I signed myself up for my first church camp meeting. Well, it's time to take a short break now, but when we come back, I'll continue with how I found a new birth. And don't forget to stick around to get today's code word for today's giveaway. We'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 4 That's 4 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au. I don't know about tomorrow I just live from day to day And I don't borrow from the sunshine For its skies may turn to rain And I don't know 
Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 15 of the Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode A New Birth. And coming up on today's show is the code word for today's giveaway. And before the break, I was sharing with you how After visiting a Seventh-day Adventist church, I was invited to attend a weekend church camp meeting, which would have a special international speaker who would be speaking about the book of Revelation. Well, a few days go by and the day had come to get ready to go to this church camp. I left work early and drove to the campsite. It was located up in some mountain spot in New South Wales. When I got there on Friday afternoon, it was absolutely amazing. It was like entering a rainforest. There were streams and creeks of crystal water flowing. There were bellbirds chirping. There were tall pine trees. The smell was just fresh. Everyone seemed so friendly. And I noticed that the girls all dressed so beautifully, but it was simple. The guys I met there too seemed to be genuine. See, I came from a world where every guy was always kind of competing with you. But these guys just seemed nice. I also noticed that these people didn't swear. It was kind of refreshing. There was also this distant sound of piano music playing from what they called the big tent. And it literally felt like there was some kind of amazing peace upon the place. Well, that night was what they called the opening Sabbath meeting. This was where everyone came to this big tent and welcomed the opening hour of the Sabbath as the sun went down on Friday evening. You know, to this day, this was one of the most remarkable experiences I ever had. This opening Sabbath thing. There was prayer and songs. Some of the songs everyone would sing together. Others were called special items. This was where an individual or small group of people would sing. Now, I didn't know any of these songs, but to this day, I can still hear them being sung in my mind. And then there was stories for the children, teaching some kind of lesson from these ancient manuscripts that I'd become so acquainted with. They were so practical and simple and so understandable that even the children gained something from it. 
And then there came the time for what they called the main speaker. Somebody introduced this guy from Malaysia, and his name was called Mail, as in Mail, M-A-L-E, Mail. I thought that's kind of a weird name, but maybe that's what they call people in Malaysia. Now, Mail was the night's speaker. He was a formal martial artist who had become a Christian about 10 years before, and he was a Bible instructor back in Malaysia. This guy had the strangest name I'd ever heard, and he also had the deepest voice I had ever heard. Not knowing what to expect, he invited us to open our Bibles to the book of Revelation. And for about the next hour, I was blown away with what he was teaching, what he was saying, and how it was all connected, and what it all meant. I had to talk to this guy. I had so many questions. I I wanted to share with him my experience. As soon as the meeting ended, I got up to go talk to him, but so did another 10 to 15 other people. And so I sort of had to wait my turn, so to speak, to talk to this male guy. When I finally got to meet him, this is what he said to me. Hello, my friend. I thought, whoa, he's calling me his friend? I found out later that's his standard greeting. He calls everybody his friend, which is kind of nice, I guess. And so I asked him my first question. And his answer was, open your Bible too. And he'd give me a verse to read. And as I read it, that very verse that he directed me to would answer the exact question I'd asked. Now, this happened for every single question I had. Every time I would ask a question, he would say, open your Bible too. And give me a reference. And as I started to read, he would say things like, Now stop for a second. What does the next word say? It was like he had memorized the entire Bible. I was impressed to say the least. Now, after quite some time and after a bunch of questions, Mail said to me, Brother Rob, do you know what the new birth is? I said to him, No. Then he said, Oh, my friend, you have to learn about the new birth. And he said, Come to my tent tomorrow afternoon at 2 p.m. And I will share with you about the new birth. And so on Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m., I made my way through the maze of tents and finally came to Mail's tent. It was a humble tent, nothing too flashy. It had a blue tarp spread out between some trees in front of the tent to create sort of a makeshift veranda. And as the sun was out and it was a warm December day, it gave a bit of relief from the heat. When I came to the enclosure, I found that Mail had invited other people to join us for this study. Everyone had bought their own camping chair to sit on and had their Bibles open and were ready for whatever was about to happen. Mail turns to me and says, Brother Rob. I was still getting used to this whole brother-sister thing, but Brother Rob is what he called me. Brother Rob, take a seat and we'll begin. I will lead us in prayer, and then I will share about the new birth. And as I took my seat, I had no idea what I was in for. I'd never studied the Bible with anyone before. A bunch of thoughts started running through my mind. What are they going to do? What are they going to expect me to do? What if how I've been studying the Bible is totally wrong? Man, I hope they don't ask me to read. Well, it's time to take a short break again. But when we come back, I'll continue with how I found a new birth. And don't forget to stick around for today's code word for today's giveaway. 
I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate. On an old rugged cross on a hill long ago Hung one without guilt, without blame And for salvation of souls For the sins of the world That's why my Savior was slain Won't you look to the old rugged cross And see Jesus and confess His name And say, Father, forgive me I know that I'm lost, you'll be found that old rugged cross And from that old rugged cross He was laid in the tomb But death over him had no claim For Jesus was raised So that all might be saved Believe and break Free from sin's chains Won't you look to the old rugged cross See Jesus confess his name and say, Father, forgive me. I know that I'm lost. You'll be found at that old rugged cross. When your burden 
gets hot And when it feels Like all hope Is lost There's a way That is easy There's a yoke that Is light Just follow And take up Your cross Won't you look to Oh Rugged cross Jesus and confess his name and say Father forgive me I know that I'm lost you'll be found at that old rugged cross just lay your burden At the foot of that cross You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen and this is episode 15 and I'm calling this episode A New Birth. And coming up is today's code word, so stick around. Now before the break, I was sharing with you how I was at my first church camp meeting and I had just been invited by this guy called Mail, the main speaker, to come to his tent at 2pm to learn about this new birth. And after I took my seat under his makeshift tarp, Mail led us in a prayer. And in this prayer, I'll never forget it, he asked God to send his Holy Spirit to be our teacher and to open our understanding to these deep things of God. After he finished praying, he asked us to open our Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 1. And guess what? He asked me to read. And so I open up to the passage, and this is what it said. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb to be born? I was about to read the next verse, verse 5, when male interrupts with, Stop a moment. Then he asks us a question. He says, What do you think of when you hear the word born? Someone immediately jumps in saying, Having the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Male politely responds, That's a good thought. But just think simpler, not too deep. I was slightly intimidated to say anything. After all, Everyone here were already Christians, and I was the outsider. I was the newbie. What did I know? But no one else responded to Mail's question. And there was a silence that, after a while, became a little bit uncomfortable. And then Mail turns to me in front of everyone and says, What do you think, Brother Rob? What comes to your mind when you hear this word, born? As I sat there thinking about this word, born, I ran through a process in my mind of word association. The first association that came to my mind was, No, that can't be the answer. It's too simple. It's too obvious. 
I must have had some kind of processing look on my face because Mail said, Share with us, Brother the Rob. What do you think? And so I said, Family? Family is what I think of when I think of the word born. Mail had a grin come across his face as he said, I see. And why do you say family? So I answered, Well, when a child is born, the first thing he has, the only thing he has is family. As soon as it's born, it belongs to family. Mail said, Very good, Brother Rob, very good. That is exactly what Jesus is wanting us to think about this passage. He wants us to think about family. You see, the whole of Scripture is dealing with family. Or perhaps more accurately, it's dealing with a family issue. You see, when Jesus says we must be born again, he attaches the word again to this family word born, which means that if we need to be born again, it means that our first family has, well, problems. Or the way we join the first family has problems. Hence, the need for again. We do something again, generally speaking, if it wasn't done properly the first time. And that conclusion leads us to a logical problem. There are two families. There's one that we've been born into, and there is another which we should have been born into, which is the one we need to be born into again. And so the reality is that there are two families in Scripture, the one which we are all in by nature and the one that we need to be born in by choice. Now, the issue is, without being born into the new or the second family, Jesus states that we can never see the kingdom of God, which is biblical language for salvation. The family we belong to, if we stay a part of it, will result in us not seeing the kingdom of God, will result in us not being saved. And then there is the family which will result in salvation and finally seeing the kingdom of heaven. And just like that, with one verse, everything illuminated right before me. All of this, my my whole journey since the year 2001, that experience I had in the nightclub, the field experience, my quest to discover prophecy and being led to a knowledge of who and what God is, and all of this was God leading me from this first family which I was born into, this one which would ultimately lead me to my destruction, into a family that God was leading me to, a new family which would see the kingdom of God, which would have eternal salvation. We then read from the book of Revelation in chapter 12, verse 7, how these two families came into existence. The manuscript says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. And so these texts tell that there was a time when there was only ever one family, the family of God. But at some point in time, a war broke out in heaven, which really means a war broke out in God's family, and the family broke into two. And every one of the created beings took sides in this family crisis. Some chose to stay with God, some chose the dragon, who is none other than Lucifer. And with that, the universe had two families. Now, Jesus' disciple John explains it this way in the Greek letter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. He says this, In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are revealed. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, and he who does not love his brother. You see, there are two families, two sets of children and two sets of fathers, God and the devil. And the difference between these two sets of children and what separates them according to John's letter is righteousness and love. Those who don't practice righteousness of God and don't have love for others, they show by their fruit that they are the children of the devil. They show that they're in the wrong family. They show that they're in the family that will not see the kingdom of God. They are in the family that requires them to be born again. This is why Peter says in his letter called 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, but reserved in heaven for us. God has begotten us to an inheritance. You see, you really are only entitled to an inheritance if you belong to the family of the one who has died. And God is saying that he has begotten us again, which means we're born into his family. And because we're a part of his family, we can enjoy the inheritance and get the inheritance, what Jesus left for us when he died, the gift of eternal life, the very thing that we need. But you can only receive this inheritance if you're a part of the family. This is why Jesus said, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. When you join this new family, you notice that there are differences. Every family have their own culture, their own customs, their behaviors, their rules. For example, I have a friend who couldn't have children, and so they decided to adopt. They adopted a little girl from China. She was about seven years of age when they adopted her, and when she arrived in Australia and joined this new family, there were many, many, many things that were different. For example, her new parents spoke a different language. They ate different food. They wore different clothes. They sung different songs. They lived in a different kind of house. Just about everything was different. And it took her time to adjust and to learn. And after a while, she did. She learned English. She started dressing differently. She started eating differently. She became just like her adopted parents. And this is exactly how it is when we leave our earthly family, whose family is the devil, and we join our heavenly family, whose father is God, God's family. God's family speaks differently. It doesn't curse. It doesn't swear. It's not rude. They dress differently. They're modest. They're respectful. They're tasteful because their bodies are his. They eat differently. They take care of what they put into their body to promote good health. They don't abuse their bodies. They sing differently. They reflect their father and their family. They live differently. They aren't wasteful. They don't live for the latest fashions. They aren't extravagant. But they're thoughtful about the resources that they have been lent by their Heavenly Father. As I sat there listening to these passages being broken down into such simple ideas... Their simplicity was enchanting. It was so obvious. Everything in my life had been characterized by this worldly family. I'd been in a quest to obtain position and influence and money and power and luxury and pride. And I could see it now. That even though I really didn't see myself as a bad person, I was lost. I had all the characteristics of the wrong family, and according to what I was learning, to what Jesus was teaching, I would never see the kingdom of God without being born again. As I sat there thinking, the immediate thought was, how do I be born again? What does that mean practically in reality? What happens? How, how does it work? 
And right then, it was like Mael was reading my mind. He said, Brother Rob, please continue reading John chapter 3, verse 5. And being snapped back from my whole wondering thoughts, I read, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Two things equate this new birth, water and spirit. We need both of these two things if we desire to be born again. But what does this mean? Next, we read from Mark chapter 16, verse 16, where Jesus says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So, Jesus connects salvation to a belief that is confessed through baptism. This took my mind back to those many nights when I was sitting at my kitchen table examining those various Christian creeds and statements of faith and how I found that most of the Christian denominations saw baptism as being important, but then specifically stated that there was no need to follow Jesus' example of being baptized by immersion, but that a sprinkling at birth was sufficient. And I remember how I was determined to be baptized the way Jesus was, and now here it was again. This being born again is connected to being baptized. And as I was processing these thoughts, Mail states, Now, my friends, even though being born again is connected to being baptized, they are not mutually exclusive. Meaning that if you are baptized, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've been born again. He told us to open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. And this is what we read. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. If baptism equals born again, then according to this passage, everyone who has been baptized would not be able to sin, or should not have sinned since their baptism. Now, clearly, there's more to being born again than just the act of being baptized. And so we began to explore what these two words, water and and spirit represent and how they work in this process of being born again. First, we explored this word water. We looked at a passage in the Hebrew manuscript of Psalms in chapter 119 and verse 9. David asked this question. He says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. In this passage, David explains how that the only way to be cleansed is to obey God's word. And so, God's word is likened to the work of water. Water cleanses us physically in the same way God's word cleanses us spiritually. Next, we read in verse 11 of the same chapter, Your word I have hid in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Again, the same picture, God's word hidden in our hearts is the key from keeping us from sin. This was the same way that Jesus resisted temptations of the devil. Every time the devil came with a temptation, Jesus recalled the word of God, which was hidden in his heart. The word of God is the cleansing agent for sin. Next, we read verse 133 of the same chapter. It says, Direct my steps by your word, and let not iniquity have dominion over me. Again, the same picture. Having my steps ordered by God's word would keep me from iniquity, which is sin. Then we looked at the Greek New Testament letter Ephesians in chapter 5 and verse 25. It says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Again, the same picture. We are washed by the water, which is the word of God. 
And then there was this passage in First Peter chapter one verse twenty three. Peter says, "Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, through the word of God." Which lives and abides forever. The same picture. We are born again through the Word of God, and the function of the Word of God is the same as water. It cleanses us. But this raised the question, which is actually more of a concern: How, if being born again is connected to living in harmony with God's Word, how is that possible when we're all sinners, and no matter how good or how good our efforts or works are, they're still always tainted with sin? How is this possible? And just as I was thinking this, Mail says, "But my friends, how is this possible? How is it possible to walk in the way of God and to keep the word of God?" Then he says, "Notice the previous verse, verse twenty-two. It says, 'Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Holy Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart.' There it was." There's the answer. You purify your soul—that's being cleansed or born again—by obeying the truth, that's the word of God or the water, through the Holy Spirit. It's through the Spirit. I can't obey it, but I can obey it through the Holy Spirit in His power. He's the power. He's the helper. He's the comforter. It's by and through the Holy Spirit. And when we allow the Word of God, the water, and the Holy Spirit to come into our lives to work together in our hearts, the Bible says in Galatians chapter five verse twenty-two that we should start to see fruit in our lives. And this is the list that it gives. It says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If a person has these characteristics, it shows that they are in the family of God. It shows that they're born again. This is why the Bible says in First John chapter three verse one that we are the sons and daughters of God. And in John chapter one verse twelve, it says we're called the sons of God. Now, what was really interesting with this passage in First Peter chapter one verse twenty-two? This passage says that the only way we can obey the truth is through the Holy Spirit. But as we read this passage in the group there under the tarp at the camp meeting, one girl there blurted out, "Male, that's not what my Bible says." Everyone paused. Male asked the question, "Sister, what does your Bible say?" My Bible says, "Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart." It was missing the part that says. Through the Holy Spirit, which translation is that? Someone asked. The reply was the New International Version. We're all a bit surprised. How can the same passage be so different in two different translations? Not just a bit different, but one has us obeying the truth through the Holy Spirit, which makes sense. Well, the other one has us obeying the truth by ourselves, minus the Holy Spirit. Well, this took us on a. Slight detour, looking at translations and the original text from which modern translations come from, but that's definitely a story for another time. But the conclusion was that without the Holy Spirit, we cannot live in harmony with God's Word. After four hours of solid Bible study, Mail summarized our study by saying to the effect, "You know, the new birth and baptism are kind of like a wedding." You see, 
we start off not knowing God, but somehow, somewhere, we're introduced to Him. And then, over time, we spend more and more time with Him, until one day we recognize that we don't want to do life without Him anymore. And so we make a decision to make a public commitment to the relationship we've already begun with God, and that's baptism. Just as the wedding day is a moment in the relationship that has developed and will continue to develop, so too is a baptism. And just as a wedding doesn't mean the marriage has reached its potential, neither does a baptism mean that you're saved and your relationship with God has reached its complete potential. Both represent that a relationship has developed, and both a wedding day and a baptism represent a commitment to a lifelong relationship in which we grow more and more into a oneness. As I sat there, thinking about these ideas we were studying and the implications and the realities of these two families, I felt drawn to this picture of God's family. I wanted to break off this relationship I had with my first family that I evidently reflected in terms of behavior and characteristics. I didn't want to have the characteristics of this enemy of God, this devil. I want to have this fruit in my life. I want this fruit of the Holy Spirit. I felt like I was craving this. I felt like I needed this. And it was then that Mail asked me, Brother Rob, do you want to follow Jesus' example and be baptized? Recognizing that baptism is a public display of a personal decision? And without even a second of hesitation, I said, yes, yes, I do. The people sitting around all started clapping my decision, which snapped me back to reality again for just a second that I was in front of other people. But I had made my decision. I wanted to be baptized. And I wanted this journey of a new birth to begin. And so, the following Saturday afternoon, I followed Jesus' example, and I was baptized by immersion in a river near that campground, a day that marked the start of my public walk with Jesus. And it's a day that I have never regretted. You know, I don't know where you are today in your faith experiment. I don't know what you've learned or what you are still seeking to learn. But I want to give you that same opportunity that was given to me. I want to ask you, do you want to make the decision to change families? To leave behind the family that has all the characteristics of the enemy of God and to join God's family? Do you want to be born again? Do you want to experience this new birth? It's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's a a journey. It's a process. It's a, a lifelong commitment. But do you want that? If you've said yes to any of these questions, then I want you to get in touch with me. You may not feel like you're ready right now, but you want to move in that direction. If you want to make that decision, then text the code word BIRTH, B-I-R-T-H, to 4 3 
text the code word BIRTH to 0488845311 and I'm going to help you in that next step in your faith experiment. So again, if you want to change families, if you want to begin this journey of a new birth, then text the code word BIRTH to 0488845311. Now, as mentioned at the top of the show, if you would like to get the small e-guide that will help you explore this topic a little bit more, if you want to get this e-guide for yourself or for your friends, text this code word. Now, it's a little bit different to our regular code words. This one has a hashtag. So text the hashtag, so it's the hash symbol, then the letter FE for faith experiment, and then the number 15, episode 15. So text the hashtag, hash FE15. Text that to 04-888-45311, and the Faith of Mbot will ask you for some details and will send you an e-guide for this particular topic. Well, that's all for now. Next time on The Faith Experiment, I'll share with you what happened next after I made this decision to get baptized and how it affected the rest of my life. I'll catch you next week at the same time right here on Faith FM for the next episode of The Faith Experiment. I'll see you then. You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 0488 453 11. That's 0488 453 11. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode.